Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 145 of the podcast. Today, we've got Nick Mackay all the way from the UK. Now, before I get on today's episode, um, I just want to mention that I've come back from Bali. I've just had an amazing week there. I'm refreshed. I've got a nice little suntan, um, and we've just finished up our first FHL retreat of the year, which was uh, 14 people in Bali for seven days, which is absolutely stunning. And we've got another one coming up in August. So if you are interested in coming along, I'm always open to giving listeners or people that follow the podcast a little bit of a discount. So if you want to go and check that out, www.fhlretreats.com. You can see the upcoming dates we've got there. If you fancy a fun fitness retreat, lifestyle experience in Bali, which is just a stunning place. If you haven't traveled to Bali before, I know it's a little bit of a cliche for an Australian to say that, but it is a real magical place. So go and check that out or send me an email and we can uh, figure out a nice little discount code for you. But Let's get back to today's episode with Nick McKay. Now, Nick is a leadership and transition coach expert, and um, we're going to get a lot of his views on um, different ways leaders can grow, uh, tips and skills for professionals to obviously uh, take that next step in whatever direction they want to take. But what I really enjoyed about today's chat is just Nick's story, um, that he started off as a buffoon player, there he was uh, professionally traveling around the world, working with street kids in, obviously, in India and China. Then he became a teacher. He's taught in the UK, uh, Egypt, China, US, Japan. He's been all over the place. And now what he's doing is he's working with high, uh, middle and high professionals and teachers and helping them uh, develop personally and professionally to take that next step in their career. And what you'll find today is that Nick is just so generous with his time. And um, not only that, he's so passionate about what he's doing that he provides so many key takeaways for people to really apply directly today to what they're doing to advance their career. So guys, sit back. Here's episode number 145. Nick McKay, he is a superstar. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the podcast. This is episode number 145. I've got Nick McKay all the way from the UK. How are you, buddy? I'm very good, Dale. Yeah, good to hear your voice. It's uh, now opposite uh, times of day, mate. You're enjoying a lovely, warm Sunday evening, and it's uh, bright and early for me on a Monday morning in Melbourne. How's things? Yeah, so it's uh, about nine o'clock on a Sunday evening now. The, uh, it sounds quite romantic this day, but the sun's <laughs> starting to set. Uh, I think we're, we're, it's been a really warm day, so I think we're expecting some um, some thunder and showers soon. So uh, it, it could all kick off soon as well. So lots to be excited about. Particularly in the UK this time of year for you, mate. Coming into summer, there's no better place. So let's obviously paint the picture for our listeners, Nick. Do you want to give us a little bit of your background and everything so um, they sort of get to know a little bit about you, mate? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm a previous international school teacher. Well, actually, if you go a little bit further back than that, I was a professional musician there, actually. Oh, so I was a professional bassoon Bassoon. Okay. So uh, a, a double reed instrument in the, in the orchestra. So went to music college uh, and uh, played professionally for a couple of years. And I was teaching a little bit in London, North London, doing Perry work. And um, I was also um, performing internationally. So I was working in um, uh, Mumbai, um, doing some orchestral stuff out there and working with street kids around music. 
Uh, I was working in Macau in China, um, playing with the orchestra out there. Um, I was doing some um, traveling to Europe, playing with soloist ensembles. So it, yeah, it, was, it was a great, great life. Um, I, I was heavily into it at the time, but I sort of hit a ceiling with it really, Dale. And I thought, well, if I want to continue doing this and being a professional musician, I've, I've got to give my life to it. And do I really want to be doing that? And I think the answer was no. But what I really enjoyed about it was was two things really: it was the, the teamwork and, and the and the collaboration and and getting things ready for performance, and also the travelling. Um, so I um, came back to the UK, did did a, a little bit of a. Um, uh, teaching training and then I got a, a message from a friend of mine saying we, we've seen a, a newspaper clip about some teaching in Japan and we reckon you'd be you know, a good fit for it would you be interested in coming for an interview uh, and I thought well why not you know I'm looking for a change so I went to Japan for three years and taught English over there uh, and again did a lot of uh, collaboration and looking back it was a lot of coaching uh, a lot of working with people from Australia, Canada, New Zealand, uh, um, all, all over the place, really, and putting on uh, lots of different uh, voice curriculum, lots of different uh, business curriculum around English, uh, and working with, with Japanese um, students from all ages, really. So I worked probably from two or three years old up to 85, I would have thought. Um, really enjoyed that. And again, I kind of hit a ceiling with that, really. And again, I was really enjoying the collaboration, really enjoying the kind of coaching and mentoring aspects of, of language schools. Um, but I, I thought, well, this isn't going to go where I wanted to go, I don't think. Um, so I came back to the UK, trained to be a teacher, say a proper teacher, but a teacher in the UK and did a PGCE up in, up in Yorkshire in the north of England. And uh, did a couple of years there in schools and special measures. So I was, I was working in schools that were, according to the government, they were failing. Um, so that was great kids, great, great times um, engaging the kids and, and getting departments up and running and, and, and being inspected a lot, which we kind of in a perverse way kind of enjoyed in the end. Um, and then went on to my international career. So I went over to uh, Egypt and taught for a couple of years in Cairo. Uh, and led a, a key stage when it was a quite turbulent time, 2011, with the uh, e Egyptian uh, uprisings. So it led a school through that, which was uh, quite demanding at times. Wow. Um, and uh, we, had, we had mostly uh, um, Egyptian teachers. So I was looking after about 30 teachers, probably two expats, the rest were Egyptian. So that was a real interesting blend and a lot about how I kind of deal with, with different situations and leadership around that. Um, and then I went to China and worked in Guangzhou and started off at their first ever uh, sixth form in the British School of Guangzhou, uh, which was, uh, again, really interesting time. Spent two years there and, and got the first um, year, uh, 12 and year 13, um, up and going with the uh, A-levels and universities. And then I, I got a phone call and um, it's from a UK-based international group. Um, and they said, would you be interested in coming back to the UK, but working in an international context uh, in the UK? And I thought, well, OK, well, let's come and see what they've got. And at the time I was doing an MBA, which, I, which was based out of Bangkok. So I said, well, OK, if you want me to come back, um, that'd be great if you could pay for me, which they duly did. I was quite surprised about the time, but they did. <laughs> Um, and uh, I, I worked for a group in the UK which had um, a, a couple of different units. One was high schools where they did university um, foundation programs, A-levels, international baccalaureate, IGCSEs. That, that's kind of what I worked in and they had that in the UK. And they also looked at language schools and they also worked at summer schools. 
Um, so I was there for two years uh, as vice principal of an international boarding school. And my mandate was to, was to get at, uh, an excellent inspection, which we duly did in two years. Uh, and that was a quite a ride, actually. Lots of things going on there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was really interesting. Very, um, very, very hard at times. Um, but we, we did that. Uh, and then at the same time, I started to inspect schools in, in the UK through ISI inspections, which I really enjoyed. That, that collegial atmosphere and, and going in and, and looking what the schools are doing. Um, and then I went to Boston in the US to um, start a, well not start, but to oversee a, uh, a relocation of a school there. Um, so I really enjoyed that, really enjoyed the US. Uh, it was a purely US curriculum, so very, very different. And I was the only Brit in the school and I was kind of leading, uh, I was again vice principal, then I was principal leading a lot of initiatives. So again, looking at that international context, working with different people from different countries and collaboration, coaching, mentoring, those kind of things. Um, and at that time, I, um, I did my professional coaching certification, which I did in Boston, which was about a year, just over a year in length, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Lots of peer coaching with people outside of education, which, which is really refreshing at the time. Um, and I, I got to a stage where I thought, I've always enjoyed the coaching and mentoring. I've always done it throughout my education career, through my music career, uh, and even predating that in, in my sports as well when I, when I was younger. And the coaching just seemed to fit at that time. So I um, made the decision to start coaching uh, head teachers and senior leaders, which is kind of the, the realm I was in at, at that time, uh, and came back to the UK and started up my my business. Um, and from there, I, I've worked with people all over the world. So I, I go all over Southeast Asia, Europe, um, teaching, uh, um, coaching, leadership coaching, transition coaching, leadership development, mostly in education, uh, working with head teachers, international education groups, directors, executives in, in, in that uh, context. Um, and I also now work for, for the uh, university in the UK as uh, leading their international PGCE, which has been great as well. Um, again, looking at uh, le leveraging my international contacts um, and um, basically working with different people from all over the world who want to become teachers. And I think that has been a wonderful experience as well. So lots of coaching and mentoring along that, um, which is alongside my, my coaching business as well. So that, that's my kind of life story there, Dale. Nick, that is, uh, mate, there's so many things I've just been listening and just taking mental notes in my head. Uh, and we're obviously going to get into the mentoring and coaching and the collaborating, everything you're doing now, because I think it's really fascinating. I know that um, a lot of people out there are always looking at ways to develop themselves and improve their career and everything they do. But one thing I want to know a little bit more about is I didn't know about the buffoon, mate. I really liked that. But what was it like working with street kids in India and China? What was that experience like? Well, in, in India, I was uh, we were playing in an orchestra. And in M Mumbai, you have Marine Drive, um, which is it's quite interesting. It's called Marine Drive because my, my mother's from Scarborough and they have a big Marine Drive up in the northeast of England. Um, but yeah, Marine Drive in, in Mumbai, at the bottom end, there's a concert hall and every or I think twice a year, three times a year, they have a concert. So they used to get musicians from the UK predominantly to come over to work with the people in the orchestra who were all part-time um, musicians. And as part of that, we used to, used to go out into different schools. So there's one one school I remember quite uh, vividly. It was a it was quite a, a rundown school on the edge of um, Bombay. And we went in as myself and uh, playing the bassoon. There was a friend of mine playing the oboe and another friend of mine playing the French horn. 
uh, and she was kind of bright red hair all over the place, really white freckles. And we went into this uh, school to, to play some music, and they were quite scared of us. Obviously, it was a lot, a lot different to what, what they used to. Yeah. Um, and I started playing the, the bassoon in this ensemble, and the kids who were quite young were in there, and they, and they all ran out of the classroom. They were scared <laughs> of the sound. So we were sitting there and playing these, these musical instruments, and there was no one in there. And of course, the teachers had to try and cajole them back into the room. Um, but it, it, it was fascinating. We also played at some... Um, kind of centres for, for street children so they used to come in to school and then they'd go back on the street to sleep and they, they had nothing at all really but uh, they, they kind of heard of things like The Simpsons and the music around that and these kind of things so once it kind of calmed down to the fact that they had you know different people in the room and there was different instruments that they hadn't heard before they actually were quite easy to engage uh, and you know really sort of threw themselves into things so it's a really you know rewarding experience uh, it's, it's quite uh, humbling really when you see these kids come into a center like that and then you know that they're going to go back on the street in a couple of hours time um, and they didn't have much really but um, it was great work that the center was doing to try and get them engaged in different parts of uh, music and, and maths and English and all these different things as well. Yeah, I really love that, and and exactly what you just said there, using music to engage them through maybe subjects and topics that they're not that uh, normally engaged in, and I think that's, I'm a big believer in that as well, Nick, that um, if we can make things fun or we can make it interesting, then kids are going to learn more. What what was India like? Because obviously, um, it's a place I haven't been, um, and I hear so many different things about it. It's I hear it's magical, I hear it's very smelly, it's crowded. What was your experience of India? So you know, I've been quite a few times now. The first time I went, I didn't have a great experience. I got I got quite ill. I went out with um, some some local guys, and they took me to this uh, this re- restaurant. And I, I was just so stupid, really. I had local water in these desserts. Oh. The next few days, it was I just you know I'd lost all my weight. It was it was it was horrible. So that kind of tarnished that. Um, the next time I went. I, because it is a bit in, in your face, India. You know, it, it's all-consuming. There's so much going on. As you said, Dale, there's different smells of different people. It's it's busy. It's crowded. Um, it's, the poverty can hit you quite quite badly. But I think once you get kind of used to that, um, in, in, as used to it as you can, I suppose, and you, you relax into it, the same anything really, isn't it? You kind of look past all the, the, the dirt and things and you really start to engage with people and put yourself around, speak to people. I, th- I think it's a magical place and it's probably now one of my favourite places to go. Um, it's, there's something very spiritual about India and also very, very welcoming, which initially when I was ill and when I was quite uh, anxious about being in a different place, I didn't quite get yeah, and I suppose I think anywhere when you're ill, Nick's not not the most enjoyable place, particularly a place like India, where I assume that getting the sort of food or medical attention you need is quite tough. So, mate, you've always been in Japan, Egypt, China, Boston. You've taught in the UK. You've taught all over these places, and um, I work with a lot of international teachers or people that have travelled. What did you learn most about yourself from, um, I suppose, studying, learning, collaborating, working with all these different people, students in these different countries? That's a good question, Dale. Um, I suppose it's, it's all about ref- reflection, isn't it? Um, I think I learned something different in every place. And, and people ask me a lot, what was your favourite place to live, Nick? And I can't honestly say, because every place, I learned lots of different things about myself and, and had great relationships with other people. I think if there's one thing that I, I kind of learned through it all, to encapsulate it all, really, it's just about relationships. And I, I think whether I was working with Egyptian teachers, you know, through di- difficult times, 
whether I was in, in Boston working with a bit more elitist corporate education, shall we say, if you have and you foster those relationships at all levels of an organisation or school, then, you know, you can, great things can happen. And I think it's about taking the, the time to, to, to listen, to be visible, um, to understand what people, are, are, you know, have on their plates as part of their role uh, and potentially outside of that as well. Um, and I think that's, that's critical in, in every post and every position that I've, I've had is just to really connect with people. And once you've done that, you can achieve great things. And I think also you learn a lot about yourself and it kind of puts you in a context of where you are. Um, you know, people talk a lot about isolation is the enemy of success, I suppose. Uh, and having that deprivatized way of, of, of thinking and being, um, I think, can be extremely rewarding. I also think, and I still hold this this now, is it teaches you about, it, it gives you confidence. And, and I saw, saw that a lot with international teachers and, and, and people I coach now, and also international students, is they can you can put them anywhere and they, they'll be okay. And I think going back to what I was saying about India the first time I went, when you're not well in a place like that, as you said, Dad, it can be a, a little bit dicey at times. But actually, when you've gone through that, you look back and you think, well, if I can deal with that, then really, you know, I can be sick anywhere and I'll be fine. And I think once you see international kids who've had that exposure to different um, places and teachers, I think it gives you that, that inner confidence to be able to deal with lots of situations. Yeah, I think what you just really summed up there, Nick, is it, it really builds your resilience, mate, and it makes it, real, makes it so you can really go anywhere or you can handle any situation and you have confidence in that. And I, I'm a big believer in that, and I see it when I travel around as well. I'm like, sure, you do as well. Now, one thing you just mentioned there is re- relationships, and I think relationships come back to anything. It doesn't matter if you're teaching, playing sport, working um, at a local supermarket. If you can foster and build positive relationships, um, you're going to be well on your way to being very successful, and not only that, that happy so Nick what are some top tips that you have when you're working with people students teachers uh, professionals on building relationships how how do you go about that I think it's about and this goes back to a lot of the coaching I do actually it's, it's not about just um, looking at the individual and I think it's about taking a, a systemic look at what, what what's going on so, so for example if I'm doing some coaching with an individual I wouldn't just sit in a room with them and, and go through some um, things you know and about how they can improve and the, you know the usual kind of things it's really really important to see them in a different context to see the different stakeholders that they're, they're dealing with to see them in, in meetings to see them in front of students to see them with parents to see them with, with board of directors whatever it is so I think it's about actually having the time to see people working in different spheres, listening in a non-judgment way. And I also think it's about saying what needs to be said and not shying away from that. Um, and there's times um, when, you know, it, it's difficult to say things that are not going to be popular, whether it's individually or collectively. But I think if you can actually have a, a culture of, of trust and people that actually respect you for, for saying things that need to be said in a productive and developmental way, I think you start to foster that trust uh, and, and respect that leads to uh, longer lasting relationships. Mm, I like that and I, I'm a big believer in listening is one of the most powerful tools you can do and um, it's something that it took me a long time to actually master and um, I'm a believer that it happens. I think the older you get, you sort of realise that it's not always about talking. You can learn more from listening. You can, um, 
for me, hard conversations. I always found, I always find this quite tough. And I'm sure um, to become a good leader or um, people that really respect you, having those hard conversations is something that you need to be fantastic at. And is that something that you find um, that you do a lot of work with around those conversations? When to have them? When to pull the trigger? And when to actually um, be confident and just go ahead with them? Yeah, and, and I think that comes up a lot there, actually. And there's a couple of things around that. Number one, I think it's awareness. And this is a key skill, I think, in it with, with leadership. It's awareness of how you operate it and what your um, kind of trigger points are. Once you know that, you can get to a place of inquiry rather than advocacy. Because I think a lot of people just want to have a debate and say things and get their point of view across rather than listening to understand so I think once you can actually listening and have that inquiry, you can understand what people are actually looking for, what people are asking for, and actually potentially listen to what's not being said. And I also think it's about fostering that confidence after that awareness so that, okay, you're not going to be um, Mr. or Mrs. Popular all the time, and that's okay because you have that, that bedrock of respect. Um, there's a lot of talk at the moment about uh, leadership and about servant leadership and about humble le- leadership. And I think that there's some, there is something to that. And I think it is about being um, giving. It is about being transparent, potentially about being vulnerable, about making mistakes so people can see that's okay. So you're modeling that. But I think there's also something about taking care of yourself in that. And there's sometimes as teachers, uh, as leaders, that we have to say no and we have to say, look, we have to do this and this is not negotiable. And it's having the confidence to do that and to maybe go against the grain, which really I think people find difficult at times. Yeah, they definitely do. And I suppose I reckon you've just nailed what I view as a successful leader or uh, manager or anybody in charge is, you know, you've got to show a little bit of vulnerability. You've got to be confident. You've got to know when to pull the trigger, you've got to listen, and you've got to foster great relationships. Are they are they sort of the pillars, um, of just from what you've just mentioned there, Nick, that I've just sort of taken note in my head that that is what successful people do really well? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I hear this a lot about, again, successful people. What does success mean? But I, I, but I, I think, you, yeah, I think you're right. What I would say, again, challenging that as well, what I've just said, Dale, is yep. maybe sometimes you can be too vulnerable. Is there sometimes when, you know, you can be too transparent? Is there time to, to collaborate? There's sometimes to actually, you know, get on and do stuff without collaboration. So I think there's always a, a kind of sweet spot there some, somewhere. Um, I remember uh, a friend of mine saying that they, they had a head teacher in an international school and they were going through a particularly bad time and they broke down in front of staff at a staff meeting and, and cried. And I think half the staff appreciated that vulnerability. The other half were like, well, that, that, that's not our problem. And we've gone through difficult times. But we have to sort of get on with it. Mm. So I think it's about gauging your audience, should we say, and, you know, being vulnerable, being transparent, but also, you know, there's challenges around that as well. Do you think with that one there that, um, you know, some people will obviously enjoy what you're doing, some won't? And I think as uh, teachers, business people, the, you've got so many different opinions and views and people in different uh, headspaces at a time. So for that teacher to break down or whatever, some people appreciate it, some don't. Do you find that if that had been really brash and confident, it would have gone the other way, that um, one half would have been like, oh, that's good, they're very uh, resilient, they're up and about, whereas the other ones would have been, oh, we would have liked a little bit more vulnerability. Do you, do you find that a lot of the time it's really hard to please everybody? 
It is, yeah. <clears throat> and I think it's about, again, testing the, the, the temperature. So, for example, I mean, you know, as you know, Dale, in, in a school, you can walk down a corridor in the morning and you can test the temperature of the pupils and the staff straight away, just from what you're seeing, having informal conversations. So I think, uh, you know, as, as a leader in that example, it's about just testing the temperature wherever you can informally, formally, to see where, you know, where people are comfortable, you know, what, what are they ready for? Are they ready for you to be that transparent or are they ready or what they need at that moment is for you to be a little bit more outwardly resilient? Um, so I think it's about testing the temperature and having, I mean, lots of people talk about contingency leadership and, and this idea of conceptual pluralism about one size doesn't fit all. But it is about just testing the temperature to see what's right at that time, which in itself is really difficult as well. So it's looking at what mechanism do you have, do you have in place to allow you to, to see and, and to understand how the school, for example, is, is operating at that particular time. Yeah, and I think that's something you gauge over time. I, I really agree with that there, Nick, and I really love it. Now, mate, obviously you've had a massive passion the whole time for helping others, educating, and that started from what I can hear from um, early days when you were playing the buffoon over in India and China and so forth like that. But your purpose has sort of changed, I suppose. I know you've mentioned the whole time that you've really been into sort of growing individuals and leadership and stuff like that. So um, how did Pursue come about? How did you go, right, I'm going to start my own business? Because it is a big thing to do, and um, what what were the what was sort of the, the catalyst behind that, Nick? Was it just time that you knew, right, I've got these skills, I've got this passion and I want to help others? Yeah, it, it was a leap of faith, Dale. It, it was, uh, and, it's, and it's still a journey now from, from having something that's, that's quite set in stone that you've always done. You know, you've got that paycheck coming in um, and taking the leap to, to start something, you know, brand new. Um, it, it takes a lot, I suppose, a lot, a lot of confidence um, but I think I got to the stage when I was leading schools, when I, you know, when I was a, a principal, I got to the stage where I thought, am, am I really, am I really enjoying this? You know, because I think I got maybe pulled away as lots of senior leaders do from the stuff that I was enjoying to the, the more kind of financial side of things. Um, I was, wasn't working with, with the kids as much. I wasn't actually working with the staff as much. Uh, I seemed to be doing a lot more recruitment. Um, so I was working more with agents so I, I was kind of one foot in the school, one foot out of the school, but it was kind of getting more out of the, out of the school. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, well, is this really what I want to do? The things that I enjoy is, you know, self-development, is, is growing people, is, is supporting people, um, is to enhancing people's practice and, and building things. And I wasn't feeling that I was, I was doing that. Maybe there's also on reflection something about my age. You know, I was coming up to, to 40 and I was thinking, well, you know, I, I can sort of see myself doing this for the next five or ten years. Is that really where I want to be? If I don't do it now, which is what a lot of people say, maybe I'd never do it. Um, and I also think there's just, you know, everything has its season, doesn't it? You, you, you come to the end of a cycle and whatever that is, and you, and you find yourself wondering, well, I've just got a feeling here that there's something, ne- something else to do and something innocuous. Like I did my coach training in, in, in the U.S. and I was meeting these people and that kind of took me into a different realm a different place really that I wasn't in previously and maybe that kind of helped me get out of the job that I was doing uh, a traditional uh, principal job into something more um, more akin to my own business 
Nick, I, I love what you've just mentioned there about, you know, you weren't having fun. And I, I'm a huge believer, if you're not having fun, then you need to figure out a way to change it because life is short and we need to enjoy every day. And I suppose if people are listening now, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then you're the one in control. You can change that, but you need to action that and take the steps. So you weren't having fun there, Nick. Do you hear now that obviously you're going quite well, you're helping a lot of people around the world, that people go, oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. But like you said, the paycheck, the security... Um, people want something, but they're not willing to go about trying, you know, putting the hard yards in to get it. Yes and no, <clears throat> as, every, as everything, Dale. I yeah. think um, the people have responsibilities, don't they? They do, and, yes. And it's, that's something that people have to weigh up, you know. Um, at that time, I didn't have a, a, a family, so I was, you know, I didn't have people to provide for. Um, and that was, you know, maybe it's easier for me to, to travel anyway. And then maybe it's easier for me to say, well, I want to go and do something else without having the, um, the, the major responsibility of, of people um, counting on me um, for money, potentially. Um, and I, I also think, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it's, is it the right time for you? And I think a lot of people... Uh, are quite um, they're willing to, to do things off the cuff a lot of other people will think about it and think about it and they kind of miss an opportunity so I suppose it's about under, understanding doing the homework around transition around okay is this going to work I did my, my research around how I'm going to make this work and then maybe getting support while they, why, why they do that uh, and then also once they've made that decision um, not to be afraid to actually go out and get what they want and also not be afraid sometimes to say, you know what, it's not for me and, and, and go back into something that they feel more comfortable in. Yeah, and, and, and it's not about, it's, you, there's no such thing as failing because that's a lesson you've learned from that um, and you've realised that uh, you've taken these key individual learnings away from that. And I'm sure that would help in whatever you go back into or whatever you develop next. So what excites you most about your job these days, Nick, when you get to help these people? What, what just gives you a real buzz? Well, I had a had a great day last last Friday actually, Dale, and uh, I was working with an association of primary school heads and and, and deputies, and, and we had a, um, a three hour session on leadership brand, developing your, your your leadership practice, developing awareness where where your strengths, where your gaps, where you're potentially over dialing in some of these strengths, where you're under dialing, and I think. You know, I, I kind of stopped, st- stood back, and uh, you know, as you get people talking and, and discussion going, and I thought this is really meaningful for people, and this is a space that they haven't had for a long time, and this is a space where people, you know, are being vulnerable and, and are actually putting things on the table and saying, this is what I need to change, and I'm going to do something about it, and there's something about that that I, I find wonderful, and, and I, I love being part of that process. Uh, you know, it's not an ego thing, really. Um, <clears throat> I suppose, you know, at, at times it can be, but I think sometimes it's just about standing back and saying, I'm actually doing some some good here. Uh, and I feel like I'm, I'm helping other people to, to get where they want to get to and to prioritize things and to support them and enhance what they're doing. Yeah. So that's, and that's, I think that's the beauty of, uh, you've sort of, sort of graduated from seeing that every day with students where um, you were able to do that and see them grow in the classroom. Now you're able to do it with adults and leaders. Um, is is that really sort of the driving force behind your passion and everything you're still doing, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still go into schools, Dale. Yep. Um, and it, it's, again, it's quite funny because you, you step straight into that, um, that teacher mode again. 
Uh, and I have some some trainees, some teaching trainees that, that I work with internationally, and I go and visit their schools, and you, and you walk in, and you think, you know what? I, I quite fancy this again. <laughs> <laughs> you get the urge. I can see, see myself doing this. You get the urge. You sort of right. And you feel yourself walk, walking differently. You go into class, you think, oh, okay, I, I could do this again. This is great, you know. Um, but again, I, I think that's a, that's a little kind of snapshot of, of their day, isn't it? It's, it's not, you know, you got everything else around that, which, which is, which is uh, stressful for them as well. So I, I think it's, it's, it's the coaching and the mentoring around in, in whatever um whatever work I'm doing, so whether that's working in schools, whether that's working with senior leaders, whether that's working outside of education, I think if that underpins what I'm doing or I feel it underpins what I'm doing, then I'm quite happy. Yeah, I, and I, I know exactly what you mean there when you still walk in those classrooms and um, it's like that hat just goes straight back on, the, the switch is switched on and it's like nothing's ever changed. So you've obviously mentioned a lot about mentoring, Nick, and I know that um, you're doing that with, obviously you've just mentioned uh, senior leaders, you've got new trainee teachers, you're mentoring a lot of people. Um, have you had great mentors along the way as first part of the question? And then um, how, if so, how have you gone about finding mentors? Uh, yeah, and, and to come back to your question, actually, Dad, about, about meaning, I, I don't think there's enough support for leaders in education. Okay. Um, I, I know that there's qualifications in the UK that, that you can do, but I think generally, and I had this chat with this group last Friday, you know, you're a good classroom teacher, then you get pushed up. Um, you don't always get enough time to actually re- reflect on, on where you're going and, th- and that support. Uh, and, and I think there's a real need for that bespoke um, leadership support for leaders in education. Um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, there's different ways of, of going about that. But I, I also think in, in my life, I've had a couple of people who, who stand out for mentors. But I also think there's a lot of people who would have been great mentors, but they just didn't have, didn't have enough time. Yeah. You know, in the yep. school and everything else, there wasn't, wasn't the time there. So when do you take time out of, you know, because it's chaotic place schools are, and there's lots going on. When do you take time out to actually have those conversations and get people to support you? Uh, and I, I find that a lot when I visit schools and, and some of the, you know, associations that I work with, just people coming out for the day. And it's like just, just so they can breathe and, and, and decompress because it's just having the time for people to have that impact. Yeah, and it's so true, and I know, um, obviously, schools that we get trained to teach and educate, we get all these things, but we don't really get that training on management or how do we run a school, how do we deal with all these different things. That's sort of, we're learning that on the fly. So do you find that um, with your workshops and everything you're doing, like what you were just mentioning about last Friday, that um, you go in, you're able to foster these relationships and start these conversations that it's sort of like a crash course on leadership? It is, but again, what I'm very passionate about, Dale, is it's not, it's not simply a day or an afternoon because you know we've all been there. We've yeah. all gone to a workshop, got a fantastic booklet, and you know what? This is great stuff. Four years later, you leave the job and then you, you take it out your tray. You think, oh, wow, I've never used that. <laughs> so true. You know, I've never, I've never used it. So I think what I'm very passionate about and what, what I am trying to do now is if I have a workshop or whatever else, but that's just the beginning, and then it's a sustainable performance so i'll be um touching base with them um next year for example for this particular um group 
I'm doing uh, one-to-one coaching with people after I've had that initial connection with them. So it's sustainable uh, performance development, not simply a one-stop shop and then you never see them again. Yeah, and I I think that's a a really good takeaway that, um, and particularly when you have like a really engaging, fun workshop or day, and I always say to people, if you don't action something within the next 48 hours, from what we've discussed today, Nick, or what we've done, then it's been just a fun day and it's sort of a waste of a time. So I really like that, that there's a follow-up, and I think that's a really cool takeaway for people that um, you're not going to learn things overnight. You need to consistently work at it. It's like learning a new skill. You're not just going to watch a YouTube video and then be a master at that. So Nick, how do you still grow professionally and personally? Now, I know you're helping so many other people and and, and you're learning from them, but um, how else do you grow still? Um, so I attend a lot of conferences um, I think it's important with the work I do that I stay on top of things. So I, I work with the International Coach Federation. I'm accredited coach with them and I go to their, their conferences. Uh, I go to research-based um, conferences around coaching. Um, I do a lot of writing for, for journals um, around international teacher training and leadership uh, and magazines internationally as well. So it's, it's some um, research around that. Um, with the work I, I, I do at university, I'm, I'm kind of in a space where everyone's learning, really. I mean, that's what I really like about working at, uh, in higher education, is you do have a little bit more time to actually um, go and do some scholarly leave, for example, uh, and find out what other people are doing and go to different departments and start to read around subjects. Uh, I'm, I'm dabbling. I'm, it's, it's been on, on my, my kind of list for a couple of years whether I do a, a doctor of education um, around coaching I kind of know what I want to do. It's just time, really, and resource around around that. Um, so, that, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at, at continually growing. I think sometimes, again, and I'm quite bad for this, is I need to take a step back um, because, you know, you, you have your, your coaching clients and you're traveling and you're doing things like teacher training. And, and before you know it, you've got all this information. And sometimes you just need to say stop, walk away from it, and just let things settle a little, a little bit before you come back to it. Um, and just just having time to do that rather than just what's the next book what's the next book what's the next book let's look at positive psychology let's look at non-directive coaching let's look at systemic team coaching and before you know it you just this is too much going on so i think it's just about being strategic about what what you're going to be looking at over the next um kind of uh, few weeks and that's also then influenced with with clients you know because clients give you feedback and you're working with different people and you think oh actually what would really help them is this so i'll, I'll have a look at this you know coaching in schools leadership book that i've you know that i've read before and, and see if i can feed something back into that relationship yeah, there's so many key takeaways from that little bit there, Nick. Then um, I know time is such a valuable commodity and it's so hard to get more of it. But um, as you just said, stepping back and just taking time and assessing because life is fast paced and it's getting even busier. So um, that's a really great cue for anybody listening that um, sometimes you can learn the most just from stepping back and taking a little bit of time to ponder on everything you're doing. So Nick, I love today's chat. Now, I always finish with a couple of questions, mate, with my guests before we wrap it up. And I'm aware of the time. I know you've got to have your uh, beauty sleep before you start another glorious week. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Mate, if you could look back, Nick, when you were an 18-year-old dominating, just doing everything you were doing, but from all your learnings now and all the people you've helped, you're coaching, you're educating, you're traveling, everything like that, if you could give yourself one bit of advice, so if you could look back and say, 18-year-old Nick, this is the one bit of wisdom that you need from everything you've learned now, what would that one bit of advice be, Nick? Um, <clears throat> trust the process. Okay. And uh, so how, do you want to sort of 
go a little bit further there, mate. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I, you know, looking back on reflection, I've been very, very good at going for something. Okay, I'm going to reach that. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to be a professional musician. Then I'm going to, you know, be a head teacher. Then I'm going to be a school inspector. Then I'm going to be, you know, whatever. The next thing, next thing, without actually enjoying the journey to get there. Um, and I think that's what I would tell myself if, when I was 18. I'd say just enjoy. Don't be impatient, Nick, and enjoy the process of getting to where you want to get to. Mm, that's that's so true. So do you think it just comes back to being present in every day? It does. Um, I, I think it's about not taking um, things too seriously. I think it's about um, enjoying what's on offer, you know, and doing the best that you can and not trying to control every eventuality. And I think, I mean, for example, I look, look back and when I went to uh, Egypt, I went to a, um, a, a job fair um, in London and I'm now working for that company actually and doing different job fairs and and supporting teachers around transitions but I went to that particular job fair and I didn't know where I wanted to go and I had a couple of offers I had an offer for Kiev I had an offer for Dakar in Bangladesh and I had an offer for Cairo and I just thought okay right you know let's go to Cairo I didn't really give it much thought and that's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made because I didn't overthink it I went with what I, what, what I thought and I just enjoyed the whole weekend and you know made the decision went out and got a, a lonely planet guidebook on Cairo <laughs> and you know and that was it and then I thought okay brilliant where sometimes I've actually deliberated over, over decisions that haven't been as big as that and um, you know you, you can go around in circles a bit can't you yeah I think you end up just stressing yourself out and building anxiety yeah. over something that you really don't know anything about but by what you just said, there, you just pulled the trigger, you just went for it, and it turned out to be awesome. So, um, final question, Nick, is uh, I know you've still got so many great years ahead of you, but when it's all said and done, mate, what legacy do you want to leave? What do you want to be remembered for, for everything you've done? Oh, right. Um, I think it's about actually ha- having an impact with, with people and actually being, being kind, supporting people, um, and actually, um, you know, helping people get to where they want to get to. And I also think, and maybe this goes back from the travelling is, and this is a big thing that was, that was drummed into me by my uh, mother, is, you know, you treat everyone with the same respect. Mm. So it doesn't matter who they are, what country they're from, how much money they've got, what their job is, you know, it, it, it's irrelevant. So you treat everyone with the respect that they deserve. And I think that's something that I'd like to be remembered for. I think respect and kindness are things that uh, they're free. You can give them to everybody and you should. So I love that and I love those two bits of advice there. Trust the process, be present and treat everybody evenly, open-heartedly and with love. I really enjoy that. So Nick, where can we find out more about you? Because I guarantee there's teachers listening along going, I love Nick's chat, love his energy, I love his passion. Um, How can we connect with you? So um, you can look at my my website, which is pursue.com, P-E-R-S-Y-O-U. Um, and you can connect me through there. I'm also on LinkedIn, which I'm quite uh, active on LinkedIn. Uh, I used to have Instagram and Twitter, but I kind of went off those a little bit and spending too much time on them. So I, I do use LinkedIn, uh, Nicholas Mackay. Um, check out my website, pursue.com, and you can find some information how how to contact me there as well. Awesome. I'll have links for those in uh, episode number 145 uh, on the website. So, guys, you can go and click on those and contact Nick and just say thanks for your time today because it's been an absolute blast. So, Nick, thanks for staying up late on a Sunday evening for me, mate. Uh, I've really enjoyed today's chat, and I know that there'll be so many other people out there that will gain some real little wisdom bombs from everything you've mentioned today, buddy. You're a superstar. 
Yeah, thanks, Dale. Thanks for getting up early for me as well. Mate, my pleasure. It's been a blast. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> thanks, Dale. Cheers. <laughs>